Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this body of Christ that meets here. Thank you for growing us as followers of Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would truly abide in you, just as that song says, that your heart is where we would live. Lord, help us to live our lives in that way. Help us today to grow closer to you so that our lives can reflect you to those around us. That our lives can lead every generation to the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So Lord, speak to our hearts and mind. Change us from the inside out that we can be more like you. We thank you and we praise you and lift all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and welcome. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now, if you don't have a Bible or an app with you, there are Bibles in the back of the pews. Feel free to grab one of those. If you're not familiar with where Luke is located, uh, what you'll want to do is open to the table of contents. The Bible is broken up into two main sections, Old Testament and New Testament. And Luke is found in the New Testament, that section, second big section. It's the third book of the New Testament. So find that in your table of contents, flip over to that page, and then you're going to look for Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Now, as you're turning there, uh, let me ask you a question. Um, Are there some things that you buy that you just don't buy the generic of? There are some things that in my life I don't settle for generic. Now, I'm a Most things that I get, I buy the Walmart brand or the Safeway brand or whatever just because I'm going to do my best to save money and be a good steward uh, of the finances that I have. But there are some items that I absolutely will not buy. Let me give you a few examples. Have you ever bought the, the generic brand of Cheerios? I'm telling you right now, they are not the same. When you pour milk over generic Cheerios, they do not sustain themselves the way real Cheerios do. You may think I'm wrong on that opinion, but I am an expert in this area and I'm telling you the generic Cheerios are not the same as the name brand. Uh, Another thing, I grew up uh, after I went through a childhood thing. I grew up milk, drinking milk in the morning and at meals was a big deal in my family growing up. And I'll tell you right now, generic milk, the Walmart brand of milk, doesn't cut it. It doesn't taste the same. It's, it's off. It's, it's just off a little bit, but enough that you're like, oh, no, I, I don't want that. Uh, let's think outside of groceries for a minute. I went skydiving uh, for my 40th birthday. Um, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. But I'll tell you right now, I would not have jumped out of that plane if the guy that I was strapped to said, oh, this is not the name brand, but it's okay. <laughs> okay doesn't cut it in some situations. There are things that you want the real thing. You want the name brand. You want the, the top dollar. Growing up, or uh, my early married years, we were poor seminary students, and we lived on a lot of Hamburger Helper. The generic of Hamburger Helper is not the same. 
You think hamburger helper tastes bad, try the generic hamburger helper. It's hard to swallow. It really is. But today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus is confronted about whether to take the generic off-brand, the imitation, or whether to take the real thing. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, and I want you to turn to that passage, Luke chapter 4. And we're going to begin right at the beginning. Let me give you a recap of where we've been. Uh, We are in a series, a message series, where we are going through all four of the Gospels of Jesus. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, And they are the biographies of Jesus. They tell the story of Jesus' life and his teachings. And, And so up to this point, we've gone through and covered his birth and the prophecies about his birth. We've talked about the visitors that came and saw him uh, right after he was born. We've, we've talked about him escaping to Egypt and coming back. Uh, we've talked about how as a child at 12 years of age, he spent some extended time in his father's house. Uh, and then we uh, hit on his adulthood with his baptism last week. And today, right after his baptism, he goes, goes out into the wilderness to fast. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So, Luke chapter 4, let's look at that passage. Verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now remember last week, the Spirit, when He was baptized, the Spirit descended on Him and stayed on Him. It it didn't come and go like it did with so many others throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is permanently uh, with Jesus now at this point. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written that man shall not live on bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours." And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And they will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Interesting passage. I'm sure if you grew up in church, you've probably heard uh, this particular account of Jesus' life multiple times. Uh, But I want to focus on a few things here. Uh, In uh, the very beginning, it says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the word led there, uh, if you go back to the original language that the New Testament was written in, the Greek language, the Greek word means that he was almost forcibly moved in a direction. 
This was not, oh, hey, Jesus, come along. This was the Holy Spirit moving him, pushing him to go make this step. And what does he do in the wilderness? He goes out there for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasts. He doesn't eat anything. Now, we're going to come to fasting later on when we get to Jesus' teaching on fasting. But let me just say here, just really quick, fasting is a tool that God has given us. It's, it's one of those tools that we stick in our tool belt and we pull out and use from time to time. And fasting brings us closer to God. And so Jesus is intentionally, because think about it, he has not stepped into ministry yet. And if you fast forward from this passage, as soon as he's tempted and he returns back from his 40 days in the wilderness, he steps right into ministry. It is no coincidence that Jesus, before he begins his ministry, spends an extended time in fasting. And again, we'll come back to this idea when we get to his teaching on this. But let me say a statement here. God tests Satan tempts. Did you catch that? Because there's a difference here and I want to make this abundantly clear because it's important for us as followers of Jesus to understand this. God is incapable of tempting us into sin. James chapter 1 says this. It's this verses 13 through 15 of James chapter 1. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let me be very clear here. God does not tempt us to sin, but God does put us through trials and testings to grow our faith, to make us stronger in our faith. And we'll be touching on this idea multiple times over the the next coming months. But just, I want you to just be very clear, God does not have the capacity because of his purity, he does not have the capacity to be tempted or to tempt us with sin. But he does test So God tests, Satan tempts, and our own hearts tempt. So let's take a look now at the temptations that are thrown out at Jesus. So pick up with me in verse 3. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. This is an interesting temptation, isn't it? Because think about it for a minute. Jesus hasn't eaten anything in 40 days. Guys, I can't go through one day without eating. And Jesus has gone through 40 days. Do you think he was a little hungry? Yeah. That would be an understatement. Uh, There have probably been moments through these 40 days that Jesus has been fasting where he had to intentionally stop thinking about how hungry he was so that he could focus on God. And so this temptation must have been incredibly difficult. This must have been something that would have truly been a hunger and a desire in Jesus' mind and heart. 
In most of our minds and hearts, if we had fasted 40 days, that idea and thought in our mind would be all-consuming, wouldn't it? I haven't eaten in 40 days. I would literally do anything for a piece of bread. And so Satan says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell that stone to turn to bread. Now, did Jesus have the ability? Absolutely. Jesus had the ability. He, he's God. He could have told the stone to turn to bread and it would have turned to bread and he could have picked it up and eaten it. Would it have been a sin for him in his godhood, in his power, to command the stone to turn to bread? Not necessarily. I don't know of a biblical passage that it tells us that we can't eat bread. Do you know of one? So why is this a big deal? Because Satan is tempting him with provision. Satan is tempting him with provision that God hasn't already given him. There are three of these temptations. This is the first one. Provision. It is fulfilling our wants and needs apart from God. It's that idea of saying, you know what? I want this and since God hasn't given it to me yet, I'm going to go get it for myself. I'm going to go around God and get what I want because he's not doing it fast enough for me. Sometimes God tells us no when we ask him for something. We may not know why he says no, but he does. Sometimes we have to be satisfied with what we have. Even if we feel like it's a need that we have, sometimes we need to be satisfied with where God's got us and what he has given us. And we need to sit back and go, God, I don't know why you haven't given this to me yet, but I will still be faithful and I will walk this path with you and I will wait patiently for your provision. Sometimes that's what God calls us to do. So, that's the first temptation. Now look with me in verse 5. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This second temptation is about power. It's about power. It's this idea that we have uh, things that we want, power that we haven't accomplished or, or haven't grasped or gained yet. And so we seek it out when God has yet not provided it to us. There are some times, everyone, that we need to be happy with the place that God has us. I said in the first temptation that we need to be satisfied with what God has given us. Sometimes we need to be satisfied with where God has us. Sometimes God doesn't want to give us that, that power or that authority or, or that position or whatever it may be. He hasn't given it to us or is, hasn't given it to us yet for a purpose because it's in his timing. But think about this for a second. Why would have this been a big deal to Jesus? Jesus is the son of God, right? Now think about Jesus in that moment Satan is showing him all the kingdoms and saying, hey, all of this can be yours if you'll worship me. And Jesus was the Son of God, though. All of that already was his. It, the, the, the Bible tells us 
That, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue is going to confess and every knee will bow. So why was this even a temptation for Jesus if he already had all these kingdoms? If he had all of the authority over this? Because Satan offered it to him as an easy way out. Satan offered, I'll give you all of this and you don't have to suffer for it. All you have to do is bow your knee to me. You don't have to die on a cross. You don't have to, to struggle. You don't have to go through the trials. You, you don't have to be bothered by those bothersome Pharisees for the next three years. I'll give you the easy way to get all of the authority. That's why it's a temptation. The temptation is not so much for the power. The temptation is getting the power the easy way. The way of no suffering. Let's look at the next passage. Verse 9. Verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written. And notice what he does here. He quotes the Bible. It says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This particular temptation is about protection. It's about protection. And I want you to think through a couple of things. I mentioned this last week. But are we as followers of Jesus guaranteed physical protection? No. As a matter of fact, we're guaranteed the opposite. We're guaranteed as followers of Jesus that we will be persecuted. We will go through difficulty. People will hate us because of our faith. So your physical safety and my physical safety are never given and guaranteed by God. Our spiritual security is. Our spiritual well-being and provision will always be guaranteed by God. But our physical safety is not. And Satan is tempting him with physical safety, with protection. But I want you to notice how he does it. What does he do? How does he tempt Jesus? He quotes from scripture, doesn't he? This passage is actually quoting Psalm 91. And if you were to go read Psalm 91, it is a passage about God's protection of his people. But the interesting thing about Psalm 91 is Satan is twisting God's word to say what he wants it to say, right? Now, how many of us have done that? How many of us have unknowingly or intentionally twisted God's word or cherry-picked things out of God's word to justify what we've done or thought or said or whatever? We are just as guilty of this as Satan is right here. We do this all the time. Believe me, hear me clearly on this. Satan knows God's word. And Satan can use God's word against us if we don't know God's word as well. You and I need to know what God's word says. And what's my proof for that? Remember I mentioned that he's quoting from Psalm 91? He's actually quoting from, I think, it's verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 91. If you read the very next sentence in Psalm 91, if you go read verse 13, it says this. And the serpent 
You will trample underfoot. What do you think it means the serpent will be trampled underfoot? It's talking about the defeat of Satan himself. Satan is twisting a passage and cherry picking from a passage that prophesies his own destruction. And he's trying to use it against the Son of God to get his way. Isn't that crazy? That he uses a passage that in the very next sentence that he's quoting from turns around and prophesies of his own demise. But believe me, guys, you will be tempted to twist this book to your own use. You will be tempted to twist God's word to justify your actions. Don't let that happen. God's word should be understood in its entirety. Not cherry-picked, not cut and pasted, It is to be understood in its whole. Satan understands it. It's no coincidence that he quotes from Psalm 91 because God ordained it that that way. This whole thing points us to the destruction of the power of Satan. You see, all these temptations have one common thread. And I touched on it with the second temptation. They all had to do with keeping Jesus from suffering. They all provided a cheap imitation. Remember how I opened this this message this morning about the generic imitations of the, the real thing? This right here of what Jesus is going through, Satan is tempting him with the cheap imitations of what Jesus came really to do. He was providing him, he was tempting him with an easy way to accomplish what Jesus wanted to accomplish. Jesus was hungry? Great. Here's an easy way to feed yourself. You want power? You want authority over all of the the world? I can give it to you and you don't have to suffer. You want to have protection? You don't want to suffer on that cross, Jesus. Why don't you do things my way and you won't have to go through that physical suffering? They were cheap imitations of what Jesus really came to do. The end goals were kind of there. But would they have been eternal if Jesus would have given in to any of them? No. Because we know, and Psalm 91 tells us, that anything that Satan tempts and gives us is going to be temporary. Because he is temporary. Please hear me. There are going to be times in each one of our lives where we're going to be tempted with something and it's going to be really, really hard to resist because it's going to be the easy way to get what we want. But here's my big idea. Here's that sentence that I want you to think about this week. My big idea is this. Jesus crushed temptation so that temptation couldn't crush us. He crushed all temptation so that all the temptations of the world could not crush us. He did that for us. He paid this price for us. He went through this difficulty for our sake. Here's what Hebrews 4.15 says. It says, For we do not have a high priest, that's speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus knows 
and can identify with every temptation you struggle with. Every time that you're tempted to do something that you know is not part of God's plan for your life, Jesus has experienced that temptation. He's been there and He has experienced it so that He can take on the power of that temptation on Himself and crush it for us. There's power in temptation. Guys, don't don't be deceived here. The Bible is clear. Satan exists. There is a spiritual world and there are powers in that spiritual world that are against us as followers of Jesus. But Jesus crushed them. Jesus gained victory over them. This is just one of many times when he crushes the plans of Satan. He's not just modeling what to do. And guys, hear me on this. I've, I've heard preachers preach on this passage. And, and, and every time that I've heard this passage preached, it's you can do this and use God's word because Jesus uses God's word. And while that's true, while that is accurate, I think we miss a major point here. You see, he's not just modeling what to do, but he is showing us Mercy and grace that He alone can give when we're tempted and even when we fall. The fact of the matter is, is that none of us could have endured these temptations. You go, well, I could. No, you couldn't. How dare your pride and arrogance think that you could handle what Jesus handled as the Son of God. You and I could have never done what Jesus did. Having fasted for 40 days, you could not have endured, I could not have endured what Satan put Jesus through. And Jesus did it to help us. Jesus went through that difficult time so that each and every one of us in this room could have the strength through Jesus to get through our temptations. And when we don't get through those temptations and we fall, he also provided mercy and grace to us. It's not just a model. It is a model, don't misunderstand me, but it's so much more than that. It's also a proof of his mercy and grace. Let me give you some examples of what I mean here. Two of the times that Satan tempts Jesus in this passage... He makes the statement, he opens with the statement, if you are the son of God, blah, 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 blah. If you're the son of God, do this. If you're the son of God, make this happen. None of us in this room are the son of God's, sons of God. None of us in this room are daughters of God in the way that Jesus is being described and titled here. So the fact is, is that the temptations that we go through, we're shown that we're supposed to be running to Jesus in those temptations. Because Jesus has given us victory because he gained victory over those temptations. It's interesting, the same question is posed to him at the end of his life also. If you go read Matthew 27, uh, there are two times in Matthew 27 where the people mocking Jesus, two times Satan says, if you're the son of God, do this. There are two times in Matthew 27 when the mockers say, if you're the son of God, do this. He claimed to be the son of God. If you're the son of God, come down off that cross. It's interesting. He's tempted by the exact same things at the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry, isn't it? 
If you're the son of God, come down. Take the easy way. Don't, you don't have to suffer. You're the son of God. Come down off that cross. Jesus didn't give in to Satan. He didn't come down off that cross for our sakes. Hear me clearly. If you haven't heard anything this morning, hear me on this. Jesus went through these three temptations and Jesus bled and died on a cross for our salvation. Jesus went through that. He suffered. He went through all the things he went through so that we could have hope and we could have victory. Without him, we've got nothing. Without him, we've got no hope. Without him, we have no way of achieving eternity with our Father. We have no rescue without Jesus. There's no way of being rescued from our sins without the blood of Jesus. There's no rescue from our temptations if Jesus had not resisted Satan. This passage gives us beautiful hope and victory. Let me give you a couple passages on the victory. 1 Corinthians 10.13. I used this passage last week, but I think it needs to be said again. 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The fact of the matter is, is that no matter what temptation you have in your life, no matter what you're being grilled with in any given moment, Jesus has provided each and every one of us an escape route away from the temptation. And he's able to do that because he went through what he went through with Satan here. Let me give you another passage. Romans 6 verse 14. Romans 6 14 says this. For sin will have no dominion over you. Isn't that beautiful? Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. You see it's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that gives us power over our temptations. Lastly, let me just touch on, this passage is also recorded in Matthew chapter 4 in this same amount of detail. But in Matthew chapter 4, it concludes by saying that the angels came after Satan had left and they ministered to Jesus. They gave him the things he needed. I said it once, I'll say it again. Please hear me. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle. We live in a physical world where we live life day in and day out, but there is an unseen spiritual aspect of what's going on. There is a spiritual battle for us and against us that is happening at this very moment. And hear me on this. Our weapon... The thing we have to fight with is whether or not we will resist temptation. When we resist temptation, we win. Jesus has given you the tools. He's given you the weapons to fight in this spiritual battle. But will you? Or will you take the cheap imitation? Will you take that thing that's not quite right doesn't quite add up correctly, but it's the easy way to do it. Will you take the easy way or will you go with God and take the more difficult path? It's not going to be easy. 
But Jesus will be with you and me through every step of that path. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, for how you went through these temptations. And that at the end, you overcame every single one for our sake. Lord, we praise you that we have victory. And we have victory because of what you did. Not just what you did on the cross, although that is the greatest place of victory. But we have victory because you defeated the temptations that Satan threw at you. And you said no. You said no to the temptations. And you took the more difficult route. You went the way that would provide us the rescue and salvation that we needed. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you're going to do. And we will always give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to now move into a time of our service and worship where we get to respond. Uh, And maybe you need to spend some time. If you'd like to spend some time in prayer, uh, the altar is open to you. Come on down. Or just sit where you're at and pray in your seat. Maybe you need to talk with someone. Maybe you have questions about what the life-changing hope of Jesus looks like and and how that affects your life. If you have questions, uh, myself and Pastor Chad and Pastor Josh will be right here at this front pew. We would love the opportunity to talk to you about what a life-changing relationship with Jesus looks like. Or, Or grab us after service. We would absolutely love to talk to you about that. Whatever your response is, whether it's worship or prayer or or asking questions, let's do that now. Let's stand and let's respond.